Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, and welcome to the first episode in the latest series of Talking France, a podcast by The Local in which we discuss all the latest news and key developments in France. This week, we'll examine whether the red-hot summer during which rivers ran dry and wildfires burned thousands of acres has really changed the views of French people towards the climate crisis. We'll also discuss red meat and French men's virility and taking trains to avoid planes. We'll talk about thirsty trees and bad jokes. Our main topic will be the energy crisis, how President Emmanuel Macron and his government are handling it and what can we expect this winter. And don't forget to stay listening until the end to learn some new French words and expressions that have been in the news this week. I'm your host, Ben McPartland, and as always, I'll be joined by the local France's editor, Emma Pearson, journalist Jen Mansfield, and our French politics expert, John Litchfield. Hello, guys. How was your summer, Emma? It was hot and sticky, but nice. I was here in Paris, which does get pretty hot in the summer, but uh, it's still a nice city in August, I always think. A slightly different city to the rest of the time. It's very quiet, so I saw lots of expos, did lots of tourist stuff. It was fun. And in terms of the heat wave, I mean, the three or four heat waves, you survived them, you made use of your fan? Yes, yeah, I kept uh, I kept cool with my 11-speed fan. Still, honestly, the best purchase I've ever made. I had a few visitors who visited Paris really at the height of the heat wave, trying to go around, you know, the main sites, the Eiffel Tower, the Louvre and stuff. I felt so sorry for them. Oh, yeah. I mean, just stay indoors. It's too hot to be doing any of that kind of nonsense. One place I did find that I honestly would recommend to anyone to go and see, it's a new kind of outdoor gallery. And it's in one of the underpasses next to the Seine, which used to be a a car tunnel and is now sprayed all over with street art from street artists all over Europe. And it's amazing to look at. It's really great. But it's also cool, as in the temperature is cool. So it's a perfect place to go walk when it's blazing hot outside. Nice to remember that. Jen, you didn't stay in Paris. You flew into the heat you went to Italy yes I went to southern Italy where 28 degrees feels like 40 degrees <laughs> so it was quite warm but I also went to Brittany and it was cooler there so uh, I got a little bit of both <laughs> yeah there was one point where I think we were due to go to eastern France and we just looked at the weather and saw like 40 degrees Celsius and we just went we just changed our plans and went straight to Normandy where it was a cool 26 degrees and it just felt like heaven. But I think everybody else had the same idea because the beaches in Normandy were packed. Do I get to talk about my train trip? Yes, you've been banging on about this train trip for a long time, so tell the people and about rightly it. So I guess, look, the, the main thing is I had a challenge of getting to Portugal, southern Portugal, for a family holiday in summer. I didn't have much time to get there. I said, right... I'm not getting the plane anymore. It's partly due to the environment and and needing to take care of the planet, but it's also partly I just hate queuing at airports. So I booked a train, first to Barcelona, then to Seville, then to hire a car, uh, hiring a car. I was it was going to take 2 days. I did it. We managed to do it in 2 days. It was a great trip. My big worry was that I would come back and swear never to take the train again and swear to fly next time just because it took so long. I'm glad to say I came back and I vowed to continue to try to avoid flying there was a moment like after our first day's travel when all my family were already there you know settled in Portugal and and, like we still had another day's train journey to go but guys I really recommend it even with your kids definitely with the kids like obviously you need a lot of entertainment for them and 
gags and hide and seek on the trains and stuff like that, whatever you can think of. But um, it's just a nice way of traveling. Like, you know, after three hours, we were in Southern France. If we'd flown after three hours, we'd have still been at Charles de Gaulle Airport in a queue to get on the plane. I think that was what did it for me. But obviously, for me anyway, it felt like this was the summer, not just because of the heat waves, but because of everything else around it, that the penny dropped. Like, we have to take some action at a personal level. Do you think it was the same in France? You know, you get the impression that a lot of people were talking about, I wasn't the only one taking the train this summer, Emma. Yeah, absolutely. I think, obviously, most people before the summer accepted that climate change existed. But when you're cowering in your house because it's too hot to go out and when you're smelling smoke from the wildfires that have set half of southern France on fire, it does bring it home on quite a visceral level, I think. And yeah, I think... uh, A lot of people felt the same. There was a poll in the middle of August on voter concerns and actually climate change is now the number two biggest concern of French voters, just behind inflation, but way ahead of things like crime, immigration, terrorism, which I think will impact on politics to come because, you know, those were the topics that a lot of political battles were fought on. It seems like French voters just don't really care. Anecdotally, I've heard a lot of people talking like you have, have, you know, just been making small changes in their lives, taking the train instead of the plane as you did this summer using the car a bit less or even really small things like switching to solid shampoo and I'm certainly seeing a lot more products being advertised as sort of eco-friendly like supermarkets have expanded their vac range you know where you buy without packaging solid shampoo I saw a massive display advert for yesterday that kind of thing so yeah I think it's definitely yeah the summer that climate change came home and do we have any figures to show how hot it was this summer in France it was right hot um it was uh, it was the second hottest summer on record after 2003 we didn't actually manage to top the peak temperatures that we had in 2019 you might recall the big heat wave in 2019 so we didn't actually break any temperature records but overall over the course of the whole summer it was the second hottest summer ever recorded in France It was the worst drought in 60 years, which is still going on. A lot of places still have water restrictions in place. And it's probably more, really, but the detailed national records only go back 60 years. And as I mentioned before, we had these huge wildfires that took out like a lot of southern France, but also in the north in Brittany as well, where you just wouldn't normally expect uh, wildfires to be, I think, in total an area five times the size of Paris burned this summer. Yes, and one of our most read stories was was detailing where the forest fires were in the southwest. There was huge numbers of tourists heading to the southwest this summer, and there really was, you know, these huge, frightening forest fires. And at one point, couldn't we smell the fumes from Paris? Yeah, we yeah, there was like about two or three days where you could genuinely smell smoke in Paris, which is like what four hundred kilometers away from the wildfires. It was frightening. I mean, yeah, it really did hit home. One thing we also talked about this summer was well, barbecues and red meat and French men and virility. What am I talking about? Sandrine Rousseau, Green Party MP, suggested that French men need to eat less meat because it they think it makes them feel virile. It certainly doesn't for me. I love a good barbecue, but it normally makes me feel sick and want to lie down after. But, you know, Emma, we're in a country of bœuf bourguignon, steak frites, steak haché. They do eat a lot of red meat in this country. Are the French changing habits in terms of red meat? They are starting to a little bit, yeah. If you look at the figures, the actual number of vegetarians in France is still very small and vegans is just vanishingly tiny. But a lot more French people are starting to describe themselves as flexitarians. So like they'll have at least a couple of days a week meat-free. Some people do it for health reasons, some people do it for environmental reasons. i got to say, poor Sandrine, she mostly has just been roundly mocked for this uh, virile barbecue argument. So that might not have been actually very helpful, Sandrine. But, you know, there are lots of other things you can barbecue. Veg is great 
on the barbecue. Fish is great on the barbecue. When I finally get my delayed holiday in September, I fully intend to go to the fish market, load up from fish and whack it on the barbie. Excellent idea. And in terms of politics, we should mention politics. It's all been fairly quiet for President Emmanuel Macron and his minority government over the summer, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's traditional that the French government kind of goes on holiday for uh, for the summer. The parliament is out. Uh, Emmanuel Macron went down to Bourgogne, which is the villa down on the French Riviera that all the presidents get to use for their holidays. Looks very nice. He said he was going there for a study break, but he still managed to get snapped on a jet ski, which he's had a lot of criticism for, for environmental reasons, as we've just talked about. And he also developed a, a really startlingly deep, lustrous tan while he was down there. I heard one journalist refer to him as looking like an old leather chair when he came back to Paris, which was maybe a bit unkind, but at least he's managed to have some beach time. Good. I'm now going to turn to our French politics expert, John Litchfield now, who joins us on the line from Normandy. John, it's been a fairly quiet, even smooth summer for Emmanuel Macron and his minority government, but are things going to stay that way, or are we heading for choppier waters throughout autumn? Well, it has been a quiet summer since maybe the first week in August. There was quite a, a sort of busy spell in late July when the new parliament met for the first time. And although it was very noisy, a lot of arm waving, a lot of accusations, in fact, the government did reasonably well and got through its further package of anti-inflation measures and was supported in that finally in most of the key votes by the centre-right party, Les Républicains, which is interesting for what may happen in the future. It was perhaps predictable that that would go through. It's, it was going to be difficult for deputies to actually vote against giving inflation relief to their constituents and even the, the far-right uh, abstained rather than voted against mostly. It was only the left, uh, the mass left, which which voted against saying it wasn't enough or it was the wrong things. So that was a success. Now the real trouble starts, as you say, because the, you know, it's very well, all very well getting that through, getting through the budget for next year is going to be an enormous problem, getting through the kind of reforms that Macron was speaking of, uh, pension reform, pushing back the retirement age, uh, changing the rules on, on uh, um, employment pay so it's harder to get unemployment when unemployment is low, all those things will be very, very tough to get through this parliament. John, let's just look at President Emmanuel Macron for a second, who was accused of going off grid during last spring's parliamentary elections. Is he back now and does he have a plan? Macron hasn't really said what he plans to do. He says, yes, everything's going to go ahead. No reforms will, will change. We're going to push ahead with our agenda. He is accused of, by some on his own side, of being a little sort of lacking in the plan, uh, drifting. But then recently, he's kind of answered that by giving a series of speeches uh, and a press conference the other day in which he sort of set out a rather apocalyptic view of what was coming, a very bad winter, partly because of the war in Ukraine, energy shortages, and suggesting that uh, it was time for, for French people to start thinking of themselves as being at war rather than at peacetime and, and uh, being ready to make sacrifices to uh, preserve their liberties, which sounded to many uh, a very sort of over the top, a very political, trying to sort of, in a sense, anticipate the problems he's going to have in Parliament and in, in, uh, in early next year. Perhaps set up the scene for an election next year, but that is somewhat in doubt. But certainly to try and give the impression that he's in charge. And I think it's going to be a very, very troubled fall and winter, partly because Parliament will be very hostile to, to Macron, partly, I think, because there are lots of plans for street marches against for higher wages, uh, against pension reform. So, yeah, very troubled autumn, I think. Thanks, John. And we'll hear more from you later in this week's episode. 
Okay, and on Talking France, we like to discuss who is in the news in France this week. Where should we start? Shall we start with the PSG coach Christophe Galtier and France's star striker Kylian Mbappé? Guys, why are these pair in the news this week? Well, Paris Saint-Germain, the football club, um, I believe they're very good at football, not really my area, but they've been absolutely slammed this week for taking a plane to their match in Nantes, which is a town that you can get to in two hours, two minutes on the train on the TGV. And to be honest, I think this row is quite an interesting one because I think it really does sum up kind of what we were saying before, that this is the summer that the climate crisis has come home to people because I honestly don't think this reaction would have been the same as it was even a year ago. They've been absolutely slammed from everyone across the across the political spectrum. It's been on the front page of newspapers. And I mean, they really are just acting as lots of other sport clubs would act. Um but it's becoming increasingly unacceptable to do this. But they're not they're not kind of totally blameless for, you know, the re- the, the reason this story's ended up on the front pages. These pair were asked at a at a press conference, you know, preceding a Champions League game this week about this trip to Nantes and their reaction was probably the reason why it's flared up even more. Yeah, it was probably fair to say this was not a good reaction. They both appeared very dismissive, laughed, and then Gaultier made some stupid joke about taking a sand yacht to matches, which is probably not ideal, but... To be fair to them, they're they're not politicians, they're not climate activists, their job is just kicking a ball about, so maybe we shouldn't be looking for a lead from this. But what I think is interesting is that the lead really is coming from ordinary people, that we have... We were talking over the summer about plans in France to regulate private jet flights. And I think we should be clear, this was just like one comment from one politician, so we're a long way off any kind of actual laws on that. But... It seems that French people are just taking this into their own hands and shaming people who appear to be making no effort to modify their behaviour. And I think these two have kind of become a symbol of an effort de vitesse, a, uh, a two-speed effort in which basically ordinary people like you make changes to your life, change your holiday plans, and yet businesses and the super rich just carry on regardless. And it might seem like maybe quite a trivial thing, this whole row, and in a way it is, but I think this idea of the, the two-speed system is going to be a big challenge for the Macron government, for any government, in fact, because they're going to need to persuade their citizens to accept curbs on their lifestyle in order to tackle climate change. And it's got to seem like we're all in it together, even the multimillionaire footballers. To be fair to these multimillionaire footballers and the coach, Galtier has since apologised for his bad joke that, like you said, the PSG could take sand yachts two games instead of planes or trains. He insists he and his players do care a lot about the environment and they stress that they spent two hours, 45 minutes on the bus to a recent match in the northern city of Lille. So credit where credit's due. But um, yes, they really have become a a kind of symbol of of what needs to be done in France at a personal level. It really was a a big debate in France and we should say it's still on the front pages uh, at the time of recording. Now, each week on Talking France, we like to look at a couple of places in the news around the country. Jen, where in France are we talking about this week? So this week we're going north, south and west. So the first place we're going to go to, we're going to follow the soccer team and we're going to go up to Lille, uh, which is on the border with Belgium. 
And if you go there, you might actually want to bring a flashlight because if you're taking your nighttime stroll, you might need it. Just kidding. Uh, but in seriousness, Lille has announced that it's going to stop lighting up its public buildings during the nights, uh, aside from two of its iconic squares. The streetlights, of course, are going to remain on for safety reasons, so don't worry, the flashlight was a joke. But the city's mayor hopes that these measures are going to save at least 170,000 kilowatts worth of annual energy consumption. So quite a lot. Okay, and from Lille in the north, you've picked out a story from France's second city, Marseille, on the south coast. Yes, so now we're going south to the Mediterranean, where boats have been docking for hundreds of years. Marseille has always been a port city, but cruise ships and ferries are a big part of the modern Marseille history, and they are also responsible for quite a lot of pollution in the city and in the Mediterranean. And the city's mayor even put out a petition over the summer to try to curb pollution caused by these cruise liners. So it's actually good news, um, good news on the climate front at least, that now you're going to be able to take a ferry that promises zero pollution across the sea from Marseille to Corsica. And the boat is actually really interesting. has this special filtration device. It's considered like a global first. And basically it's going to allow it to eliminate over 99% of the main air pollutants that are emitted by the ship. So local authorities are really hoping that this technology will be able to be replicated in other cruise liners, especially those that dock along France's Mediterranean coast. But there are some people who want even stronger measures and we'll see how that works out. And finally, to the west of France, where there has been some controversy this week regarding fine wines, I believe, Jen. Yes, so there has been a bit of a scandal, some drama over the famous Saint-Emilion wine, uh, over its latest Grand Cru ratings, uh, which came out yesterday and they come out every 10 years. And so leading up to these ratings, some fans of the famous wine have had concerns that the ranking system, which to be fair is quite secretive and very unclear, apparently cares more about stylish calves and celebrity endorsements than the actual taste of the wine. So how well your wine ranks actually can sometimes double your profits and definitely can increase the number of tourists that come to visit. So the stakes are quite big, but the competition is really interesting because it seems to pit brother against brother in these smaller estates like it did for uh, two brothers, Nicolas and Corbon d'Espagne in the Bordeaux region. Very interesting. Do you drink Saint-Emilion wine, Emma? Uh, Yes, a lot. I've also been to the town of Saint-Emilion. It's lovely. I highly recommend it. It's a really cute little uh, town perched on top of a hill. And obviously you can do lots of wine tasting while you're there. Which is why you were there, I presume. Yes, it is. (laughs) Fantastic. Thanks very much, Jen. France, like the rest of Europe, is facing an energy crisis with prices rising and supplies under strain. The French government has taken steps to ensure the public have not been hit hard by a huge spike in energy bills. But how long can that help go on for? And with supplies under pressure due to the war in Ukraine and problems with France's nuclear power reactors, how will the government act to save energy? After a scorching summer, France, like the rest of Europe, now fears the impact of a cold winter. Just what's in store for us in the months ahead? Emma, first of all, can you tell us much about the French government's plan to save energy? I can't tell you much more about it, no, because they haven't actually released it yet. So we don't have full details of this plan. They're coming in the next couple of weeks. But we do know the sort of outline of it. And basically, it's a plan to cut France's energy usage by 10%. Apparently, that is what is necessary to definitely, definitively get us through the winter without any kind of Russian gas and without need for power cuts or whatever. So it's being done on a three-tier system that it's going to bring in some measures which will be compulsory for government buildings, public officials, that kind of thing. For businesses, they're expected to come up with their own energy saving plans on a sector by sector basis. 
and then sign up to them. So they're voluntary, but they're expected to sign up an agreement. And then for households and private individuals, it's completely voluntary so far. So just to use an example of something that's already in place, and that's temperature limits on buildings. You might remember at the start of the summer, Prime Minister Elizabeth Bourne announced that buildings should not be heated above 19 degrees Celsius in the winter, and that buildings that have air conditioning shouldn't set it cooler than 26 degrees in the summer. So quite a lot of European countries set these limits for sensible heating to cut their energy usage. So for government ministries, public offices, that kind of thing, this 19 degrees is compulsory. It's a rule. For businesses, they've been kind of coming up with their own agreements. So, for example, the organisation that represents French supermarkets have all signed up to say that they'll do this with the obvious exception of freezers, chiller compartments, that kind of thing. So for people like me and us, you know, for private homes, there's, there's going to be no obligation to do things. It's going to be voluntary. It's entirely voluntary. Nobody is going to be knocking on your door with a thermometer this winter to check how warm your home is. But there's quite an intensive publicity campaign going on to persuade people to do this because, as I sort of mentioned earlier, France does need to cut its energy by 10% in order to get through the winter. If everybody ignores these restrictions, we could end up in a position where we're getting energy shortages. So it's kind of in your own best interest to do this. And it's also important to note that this plan has a long-term element. So we're talking about a 10% cut to get through this winter. But the long-term goal is that France wants to cut its energy usage by 30% by 2030, and this in order to deal with climate change. So we're not just looking at sort of a Band-Aid solution for this winter. It's a long-term plan as well. Now, the French government has had price caps in place for energy rises. Jen, can you give us a bit more information on these price caps and compare them to other countries? Like you mentioned, France does have price caps in place for energy uh, this upcoming winter and has had them in place for the last year or so. Uh, And you could say France is looking pretty appealing to people living in countries without price caps. For example, the United Kingdom, where energy bills are expected to skyrocket this winter. Uh, Some people are estimating up to 215% increases compared to 2021. Um, That's by the end of 2022. So France would see similar hikes without the caps, but the caps, interestingly enough, they were actually introduced in 2021 prior to the war in Ukraine. Um, And Bruno Le Maire, France's finance minister, he estimated that the French energy bills, they would have risen at least 60% for gas and 45% for electricity without the energy shield. But Price regulation in France, it's actually not that new. The state normally sets the price per kilowatt for basic plants with providers like NG and EDF. And like I mentioned before, this price cap, it was actually put into place before the war in Ukraine, mostly to respond to inflation, the increase of gas prices in the post-COVID recovery period. So for France, gas prices froze at 2021 levels, and then electricity price hikes were cut to 4%. So for electricity, what this basically means is that when you have the regulated tariff rate, which applies to the majority of consumers in France, that is updated each February and August, and that can't be raised by over 4%. Um, And France is planning to keep these caps in place until the end of the year, and it plans to maintain some sort of energy cap in 2023, though most likely not at the same level that it is now. Okay, so just before I bring in John Litchfield to get his views on Macron's handling of the energy crisis, Jen, just looking ahead to winter, what are we facing in terms of electricity rationing or blackouts? Yeah, so even with the price caps in place, winter in France is going to be pretty tricky. As Emma mentioned before, the government's energy sobriety plan is going to impact businesses, public buildings and offices, and individuals differently. But the main question people seem to be asking is whether or not households can expect to have to ration energy or deal with blackouts. 
so, so far, the French government has promised not to cut off the gas for private households. If necessary, gas shutoffs, they would only impact businesses. For electricity, though, there are several steps that would happen before a blackout, though blackouts are possible. So you might see RTE, which is France's electricity provider, lower the voltage on the whole electrical network by a small amount, so like 5%. And you, as, a, as an individual, you probably would not notice this very much. It would be like your light bulb shining a bit less brightly or your hot plates heating a bit less than usual. Um, and if these steps aren't enough, then there could be targeted and momentary power cuts. So these would only be like two hours long maximum, and they wouldn't be happening during the main business hours of the day. So they'd likely be in the morning or in the night. I'm going to bring back John Litchfield now. John, Macron's been preparing the French public for a tough winter ahead in which sacrifices will need to be made. When it comes to the energy crisis in France, how bad are things going to get? Yeah, it's difficult. Macron gave a long press conference in which he was not quite as apocalyptic, but was suggesting uh, that France could get through the winter without power cuts as long as it sort of voluntarily reduced its electricity and gas usage by, by 10%. And he suggested that there would be a, a plan for how industry and how government would do that, but also recommendations for how ordinary people should do that coming up in the next few days. He said then that he didn't think there would have to be power cuts. Might be have to be rationing, but wouldn't have to be power cuts but he certainly didn't guarantee there wouldn't be. Where is France in terms of electricity and gas? It's an interesting situation because France is quite well off for gas. It has something like 95% of its stocks filled up. It, what it lacks is electricity, and that's nothing really or is only partly to do with the Ukraine war. The, France has a real problem with electricity at the moment because its nuclear power industry, which is one of the most powerful in the world, is in real trouble. Something less, less than half of the nuclear reactors in France are actually working at the moment. Some of them are out of action for, for normal maintenance. There's a 12 or 13 of them that were supposed to be working that aren't because they've found airline cracks in the in the cooling pipes. And so they've had to be closed down until that's sorted out. So France is actually importing electricity at the moment. If there are power cuts this winter in France, it, it'll actually be very little to do with the Ukraine war. I mean, the Ukraine war does have some effect on, on, on electricity production and electricity prices. But I think the real problem in France is, is, a, is a longer term problem. John, the French Prime Minister has said much will depend on the weather this winter. We've spent the summer being worried about extreme heat. Now we're concerned about a cold winter. But with all these technical problems at France's nuclear power plants, it feels slightly worrying looking ahead. Yes, and, and the, the, the hot weather didn't help the nuclear power industry because many of those reactors, if, if you notice where they are around the country, are next to big rivers, and that's so that they can scoop up water to cool them down for various cooling purposes. And when there's very little water in the river, that means that they can't produce, even the ones that are producing can't necessarily produce at their, at their full level. So there has been a big, big dip in, in France. Usually France has 80% of its power from nuclear nuclear power. It's having to import from Britain amongst other places at the moment to make, make up the shortfall. It's They're saying that some of these power stations that are not actually supposed to be out of action will start coming back online in the next few weeks and that they will all be in action uh, by after Christmas. But we'll see. Yeah, if it's a cold winter, obviously that makes an enormous difference to the amount of electricity that's so uh, the chances of getting through without cuts or, or rationing, however that would work, uh, is absolutely dependent on there not being a cold winter following a hot summer, which is quite an often common meteorological pattern in my experience that you often do get a cold winter after a hot mm. summer. Finally, John, can the government continue to protect the public from these steep rises in energy bills and with the price caps? 
in a short answer, no. That's going to be the big, big issue in the, in the 2023 budget, which is one of one of the uh, the main subjects of of less legislation from the Parliament when it returns. And we haven't yet been given um, the, the draft of that, so we don't quite know what they intend to do. Uh, Macron the other day was was a little different from what his finance minister Bruno Le Maire has been saying. Bruno Le Maire has been saying there won't be a, a complete sort of re- that France won't have to pay the big prices it would have had to pay. I mean, it, it, you know, four percent limit on electricity, but actually the actual price of electricity at wholesale in France has apparently been more like fifty or seventy percent higher, and the government's been covering that. Same with gas, uh, where the the gas prices were frozen last October or November, I think. So they, they've spent a huge amount of money on that thing. Like just over 1% of the national GDP this year has gone on, on that. And that can't go on forever. Absolutely not. And what they're suggesting is that they will do something for the lower paid, that they will spend more on, on trying to uh, give grants for uh, in, insulation, that kind of thing. But they aren't going to sort of insulate everyone's electricity or gas bill next year, uh, which means there will inevitably, although no one's saying it, there's going to be a big jump in French gas mm. domestic gas and electricity prices next year and if you're not well off you might get a check to compensate you but you'll still have to pay the bill that's my guess from what they've been saying but they haven't actually admitted that yet but that's going to be a huge huge problem our talking france podcast is free to listen to but it's made possible by readers becoming members of the local france you can support us by heading to thelocal.fr and subscribing with the reduced rate for podcast listeners at thelocal.fr slash podcast offer. You'd also be giving us a helping hand to promote the podcast and bring us to new listeners if you take a moment to rate Talking France, whether on Spotify or Apple or Google Podcasts. Thanks for your support. Now, each week on Talking France, we like to answer questions sent in by readers or indeed listeners. So if you have anything to ask about France, please get in touch with us at news at the This week, we're looking at the reason why the leaves have started to fall so early this year. Jen, over to you. So the short answer is that trees are thirsty too. So like Emma mentioned earlier in the podcast, France has been going through a serious drought this summer. And when trees don't get enough water, they can lose their foliage as a self-protection mechanism. So trees are actually really similar to humans in the sense when it's hot, they sweat, and that's to keep themselves cool. So just like for humans, uh, this helps the tree lower the temperature um, for the tree around the air. Just like for humans, this helps the tree stay at a cooler temperature than the air around it. And so it happens when the tree opens its stomata, which is basically the tree equivalent to pores, um, and it releases water. And so when the temperatures get too high or there's not enough water to draw on, the trees sweat less, and basically they limit the opening of their stomata in an effort to conserve water. So when trees do this, they work less on maintaining their foliage and therefore their leaves start to fall. So it doesn't really mean your tree is dying, it's a relatively normal process actually. During the fall, when trees shed their leaves, it's due to a sense of cold and they're preparing for the unsuitable weather that's coming their way. And this is basically the same principle, but the problem is that when trees do this prematurely, it can leave them weaker for the future seasons. And it basically means they're hitting the stop button on their growing for that season. So that's why Emma, Paris has been looking very autumnal after such a hot summer. Yeah, I mean, it it looks very pretty, but obviously it has a a bad bad reason. Uh, Although on the plus side this week I collected my first conkers. Thank you Jen for shedding some light on why France is looking autumnal sooner than expected. 
Now's the chance for us to learn a few French words and expressions that have been in the news recently. Emma, are we starting with la rentrée? Yeah, I have picked la rentrée because it's just such a mood in France. It means the return. It's often translated into English just as like the, the return to school, the start of a new school year. But it's just much more than that. It's like as the whole of France comes back off its holiday. People come back to work. You have la rentrée politique, which is when the parliaments start up. You have la rentrée littéraire, which is when loads of new books are, are published. And people will be sort of wishing you, you know, bon rentrée à tout. I hope everybody has a nice return to work. It's it's almost like the French New Year, I think. Yeah, indeed. I mean, uh, parents I've been bumping into just say, ça va la rentrée? It really does feel like the start of a new year, right? more than January, really, September in France. Yeah, definitely. I've seen a lot more adverts for, you know, when taking up new classes and taking up sports and all that kind of thing. I think it's the, the sense of renewing your life and this is the year that you're definitely going to uh, get fit and improve yourself and learn to speak French properly and whatever. Indeed. And another word you've got for us this week is sobriety. <laughs> yeah, not something that I've, uh, I'm usually on close uh, acquaintance with. Uh, sobriety in French, it does mean sobriety in the, the same sense as, as English, as in not drinking, but it has a, a wider meaning. And the reason I've included it is the French energy plan that we talked about earlier is known as sobriété énergétique, energy sobriety. So it means cutting usage. Uh, maybe you would use prudence in English, but if you hear people talking about sobriété in France, they might not necessarily be telling you to knock off the wine. Interesting. Thanks, Emma. And Jen, what have you got for us this week? So I've got bouclier. Um, and the reason that you might hear this word is people talking about the energy shield. And bouclier is actually the word for shield. Uh, back in the day, it was what knights would use <laughs> when they went into battle. Um, and so I think that same idea has kind of uh, been copied over into this idea of uh, like what Emma was saying, the sobriété énergétique, and also um, trying to keep a shield in place so that the prices don't rise too high for France. Okay, and final one, which we've kind of touched on already in the podcast, is char à voile. What is this? Yes, so this is the land sailing or sand yachting device that the coach of PSG was talking about in that famous conference. And basically, yeah, I got him into some trouble because he was saying that the team should transport themselves using a char à voile rather than their private jet. So almost like a sand sail or sand yacht as it was translated. I love French insults and I learned a new one this week. I hope it's not too rude, so feel free to email me and correct me if it is. A friend of mine actually texted to call the PSG coach a gros blaireau, which literally means fat badger, I believe. But I think it translates as a kind of moron, dork or douchebag, you might say, in, in America. But it's kind of like one I plan to use, really, unless it really means it's too rude. Emma, have you used this before? I was under the impression it was slightly ruder than uh, than moron or dork, actually. But I'm just going to like shout it to some Frenchmen and see what the reaction is. So it's always a good way to test vocab, I think. Yes, let's have a competition to see who can use gros blaireau as often as possible. And... The other expression I like, obviously involving food, as many French expressions do, is a panier de crab. This was used in terms of, I think, a friend was talking about the kind of uh, football transfer season. Basically means a bag of snakes, nest of vipers, a kind of a, a derogatory term for, for how footballers are kind of transferred between clubs uh, in the summer. A panier de crab. And thank you. That's all we've got time for in this week's episode of Talking France. Thanks to you, Emma, and thanks to you, Jen. We'll be back with more discussions about everything happening in France next week. Thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 